0: And so leading a lot of those types of things go back to my passion areas. And just even being able to use the platform to raise things that I care deeply about, whether it's mental health, whether it's bringing in more girls and women into tech and cybersecurity. Um, So I'm getting to lead a lot of those things. That's on top of the amazing responsibility helping protect the public conversation on the Twitter platforms.
1: From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face, and how they overcome them. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to hear our new episodes first. I'm Steve Moore, and today we speak with someone familiar to the show. Since our last episode with her back in early 2020, Ricky Setti has taken on the role of CISO at Twitter, and we wanted to know more about what prompted that move. Your job is more than the day-to-day tasks and responsibilities that come with it. It's an unplanned hallway conversation, lunchtime creative sessions, and rightly so, alignment between professional goals and personal growth. But what happens when outside forces shutter our offices and make us take a harder look at what it is that truly makes us happy? So, Rinky, thank you again for being on the show, uh, you are one of the few that have been back to be a a second time guest. For those that don't know you, if you would take a moment to introduce yourself, that would be fantastic.
0: Absolutely. Hi, I'm Rinki Sethi. I am the Chief Information Security Officer at Twitter.
1: So this is different from last time we spoke. You were at a another wonderful organization. Uh, when last we spoke, how long have you been with Twitter now?
0: It's been just about four and a half months. Um, I left Rubrik, which I was at, uh, the company I was at before Twitter, uh, right around the end of September, and I came on board at Twitter.
1: So, four and a half months. Now, I have uh, personal friends at Rubrik. They're extremely well respected. You know, I, I obviously don't work there myself, so I don't know the inside baseball, but everything I see, Great company. The question I had for you is, and I think this applies maybe to a lot of us that need help or guidance here. When you're already at a great place, according to you, in general, when is it time to find another great job? What What was the catalyst for this for you?
0: Yeah, for me, I think it was an interesting time. Um, Rubrik's an amazing company. I'm a cheerleader of uh, Rubrik and hope to be a customer again. At some point, um, so just uh, an amazing company, and I was, you know, thrilled to be there as a part of the startup journey. And at some point, my hope and dream was to help take them IPO. You know, no one could have anticipated what happened with COVID hitting and us being shelter in place, um, and all of a sudden, the travel that you're doing, the meetings that you're in, a lot of things just come to a halt. And I got to a point where I wasn't feeling as challenged and as excited every day um, and really kind of s- like sat back and started thinking about what am I doing and who am I? And um, that's kind of what started getting me thinking I need to start looking maybe for my next big challenge.
1: I want to go back to a statement you made, and I, I think this I'll be fully transparent. it's It's affected me a little bit as well, where. A lot of my job pre-COVID was being on the road. And I told my leadership team, it's both the best and the worst part of my job. You know, sometimes you you wake up and you go, okay, what city am I in? Kind of a thing. But it's also so much fun to get out and and meet people and and you know have these in-depth conversations about what their goals are and and who they want to be and who they are and and it's it's a shift. Was that what it was? Is it just not the human interaction that that led you to be not as challenged. What do you think was the, the the formula there that that put you in that spot related to COVID and, and your prior employer?
0: Yeah, I, I think there were a lot of things that played into it. So COVID hit, and I remember all of a sudden, you know, you're not having those hallway conversations that you might have. You're not grabbing drinks with colleagues that you might be having after work. Um, and so I found myself having a lot more time. And so when COVID hit, um, there were a couple of things, you know, um, there were challenges that we were facing at Rubric and every company was facing challenges just from this dramatic shift in the way that you worked. And I had a lot more time, which in the first three months, I would say was amazing. I was making extravagant meals. I was having dinner with my kids every day, which hadn't happened in years. Uh, just we had family meals together and, I, you know, I learned to cook new things and, it, three months of that maybe went by and I just started thinking like, okay, now I'm sick of cooking. I'm done with that. And what am I doing? Who am I? <laughs> and it led me to this point where I felt unfulfilled. Um, and I started thinking a lot about work and work really, you know, it's where you spend a lot of your time. It's what starts defining you. And I started thinking about like, who am I? And am I doing good for this world? And am I making an impact? And it started making me spiral downwards and really led me to have a little bit of an identity crisis, if you will, that I, you know, even at points I was feeling like, am I a loser? <laughs> uh, I don't have anything other than work. Um, and now I've taken on all these things just to make sure that I don't feel like I don't have anything else. And so that's what kind of started that. And sort of thinking back in my career, as to moments that I just felt like work and passions were aligning. And I just didn't have that. And that's kind of what started that, that I really need to go and feel like I'm driving change in the world. And that I'm making real impact. I'm really passionate about what I'm doing. And that's what I meant by challenge. It was, it had less to do with, you know, I definitely miss the human inter- interactions and I can't wait to be back at work um, and have that again and be back in an office. But I think it's, you know, your time is sometimes filled up with a lot of things. And so you don't get a chance to really think about this. And I had a lot more time and it gave me this. Am I fulfilled outside of at, with what I'm doing at work? And am I being challenged in the right way?
1: Absolutely. I, I always I have this tendency when people make statements, especially on the show, I always take these snippets of, of um, you know, these phrases and, and key in on them. I think from a mental health perspective, this applies to many of us. But very few are speaking about it, and so you made a statement, kind of questioning to yourself: "Am I a loser?" And I think that that many people have some form of that—that that that they're asking themselves. Maybe they always have had, but especially today, where they're wondering. You know, you mentioned—is there an identity crisis? Who am I? From all outward measures that I, I can see, you have a wonderful family, you have a wonderful career, you're extremely articulate, but even you in that sort of very high level formula are questioning what, what is that alignment of beyond work and passion alignment, but you're second guessing yourself. And I think that that doesn't get discussed enough. And what I hope today to chat a little bit about is not only this exciting new opportunity that you have, but also how you worked through that, because I think it's could potentially be great medicine for many people, many listeners that we have. And so one of your outlets or your path I think you took is you talked about this work and and passion alignment that fills in some of this extra time, or maybe that the time gave you to reconsider. What was your first question to yourself when you're going through this identity question? How did you, how did you walk through this? How did you self-evaluate? What would you recommend others ask of themselves if they're having this question of themselves?
0: What actually went through my head were the first things were the positives actually of this time that we had um, and there were a lot of things that were really good that I did like, which were having the time to spend with my kids, uh, knowing what they were doing in school, although they found that to be really annoying that I was around nagging them quite a bit. <laughs> and they're like, can't you find something else to do? But I I really liked that. I was much more plugged in and tuned into them. I have family members who had some they had mental health issues, actually, and I was able to be there for them. And so from a life perspective, I felt really good. I felt like I was more there for the people that I love um, than I ever had been before um, because of this pandemic. On the flip side, when it came to work and it just came to, I was, you know, it, it, it came back to what am I good at? And I'm good at really leading and growing and transforming teams And wasn't, I didn't have an opportunity to do that because we were at a startup company and I had built out the team and it was kind of, we were in maintenance mode. So that was one, one challenge, which is good from a security perspective when you get there, but it was more kind of like, what's in it? Like, what am I getting? Do I have that fire in my belly every day when I wake up that I'm doing something I love? The other was, you know, I remember one of my best times at work. I was thinking back to when were times where I was really happy and doing things. And it was when I, like I remember the time at Palo Alto Networks when we when I worked there and we drove the Girl Scouts, uh, the first set of cybersecurity badges for the Girl Scouts nationally. And it still gives me goosebumps talking about it. And I felt like I love that because there was impact. There was so much impact we made and we made cybersecurity curriculum available uh, to every zip code in the U.S. And I think about moments like that and I wasn't feeling that way. and so. For me, I was starting to ask, you know, it's not just the day to day that was important to me, but making that larger impact. And so I started asking, like, am I happy with what I'm doing and what do I what are the things that I need around me with the absence of being able to be around people um, that just really um, that are really going to drive me? And so I think that was really important. And so I went down, you know, you know, what do I, what do I need from a leadership perspective? What do I need from uh, what I'm doing at work? Perspective: What do I need from outside of work, Um, and all those things kind of came into play.
1: So I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot here. How did the recruiting process go with Twitter? Did they reach out? Was it? Did they reach out via LinkedIn or something, or did or or how did you get in touch? Is it executive recruiter, or how did that courtship begin?
0: Yeah, that actually came through an executive search firm that actually reached out and said that, you know, there's a couple companies we want to talk to you about. Um, and they went through their list. And I was not excited, not interested in a few of the ones they mentioned. And then they mentioned Twitter. And I said, that's interesting. And so that's how that began.
1: That's typically how either that is is a common medium, or if you know someone who's already there, right, and then there's sort of a, a connection there. But I was curious how that started. And because you're you're going through these sort of moments of self-reflection, you're talking about, or at least with yourself or maybe with others, about when do you feel the sort of the best at work and when did you have that, as you said, fire in your belly. And then you have an executive recruiter reach out, which is sometimes great and sometimes sometimes they do a wonderful job representing the company and sometimes they don't, at least I've had from my own experience. Did they cover at that initial point, so the things you've mentioned that you love about Twitter, which we'll get into a little later. Did they represent those things well, or did you have to dig deeper to find those things? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it was interesting time. So I want to say when did, I can't remember. It was sometime between the spring and summer that, I had, uh, that they had reached out. It's Twitter. <laughs> so it's not a company that needs to be sold or that needs to be explained. They were already in the news everywhere and had made some really difficult decisions and stood by them. Yeah. and so it was you know and I'm a Twitter user uh, prior to them reaching out and so I've been following it closely and just the values that they stood behind I like just admired the company and so it was when they when they reached out and mentioned that Twitter was looking for a security leader it just piqued my interest right away um whereas some of the other companies they mentioned because I wasn't looking to escape the position I was in either I you know it was sure. happy and so it was more that what's going to give me that fire? And that was Twitter. And so when the executive search firm reached out and mentioned just the company name, it kind of was like, okay, tell me more.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So for those that don't know, and uh, starting with me, certainly we're all aware of Twitter and and the company, but getting back to that fire and the things that, that brought you in, because not just being a security person, that's probably less than half of the equation, if I had to guess. There's there's other things that I've learned from you that, that that make you complete. And so it's not just career. It's the story about the Girl Scouts. It's the curriculum and the badges. What's sort of the analog or the things that you want to do or are doing uh, with tw- Twitter today that that kind of get that excitement despite a pandemic that get that going again, that, that make you maybe more complete?
0: Yeah, I mean, Twitter's been, in, they're just leading the way in so many ways. And I just, I'm so, I feel so fortunate that I get to be a part of that journey. There's so many things that before, even before COVID, Twitter was already looking at decentralization. And for many reasons that, you know, you have for Twitter to really have that amazing global presence, your company has to represent that inside. And so their commitment to diversity and decentralization has been amazing. And I get to help lead that, um, and help lead that in the cybersecurity space at Twitter. We just signed, um, an agreement that we'll be announcing next week to, you know, at least as it, um, relates to our participation on cybersecurity panels and conversations that we've made a commitment that we won't participate unless there's good representation on those panels from underrepresented groups. And so leading a lot of those types of things go back to my passion areas. And just even being able to use the platform to raise things that I care deeply about, whether it's mental health, whether it's bringing in more girls and women into tech and cybersecurity. So I'm getting to lead a lot of those things. Um, and it's, that's on top of the amazing responsibility of helping protect the public conversation on the Twitter platform. So, I mean, I, it's just been, it's been incredible. And, and I just, I feel like I've just started.
1: Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you have,
0: <laughs> I have, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: You're, you're still, you're still new. And, and are you working? If I may ask, is it, I assume there's many offices, but right now you're, you're remote, correct? Are you still doing, are you peeking into an office or are you, is it all sort of remote leadership at this time?
0: It's all remote. I haven't met a single person um, in person yet at Twitter. I interviewed completely remotely. It's all from my house. And so it's been completely remote. They've start Twitter has started opening offices where the country guidelines or county guidelines are OK to open. But right now we're 100 percent
1: remote. I, I didn't have this kind of on my on my direct list, but I, I think it might be good advice for you to share if you would. I've never gone through a 100% virtual interview process for a position. Certainly not an executive, you know, VP above, whatever that might be. I've never had that. It's always been fly out for multiple days or then fly out again. And then any tips for those that maybe are thinking about interviewing and haven't done so yet? Is there a difference in, in making a connection virtually? during an executive recruitment process, which are often very lengthy. Any tips or observation?
0: Gosh, um, you know, I didn't know what I was doing either when I was going through that process myself. Um, it, (laughs) It ended up okay for me, but it was, I feel like Twitter was really understanding just in, it's not easy for people to work from home and interview. There's a lot of disruptions I mean, you and I had this conversation right before this that I'm going to have my kids running around in the background and I hope you don't hear them and no. all those things are happening and you can't control some of it during the interview process. So I think a lot of it had to do with the patience and just Twitter even upfront saying that, hey, we understand disruptions are going to happen. Let them happen. They happen on our end too. And let's have the interviews and internet connections at many times weren't good either on my end or the interviewer's end for me I think the most important thing and you know was I tried to stay authentic it was you know I, I did try to make sure that uh, I posed distractions as much, much as possible and that I was able to really connect with the interviewers it's a lot harder doing it remotely I remember at one point my son came and started decided that during one of the interviews at Twitter that it was the best time for him to play his piano and his piano was right next to my desk and so he ran in and started playing and. We just had to have a laugh about it. I mean, there's nothing you can do, right? And um, the way the conversation went behind it, everybody kind of of got to observe what it would be like in a stressful situation. And it ended up okay. Um, So I don't think interviewing virtually and interviewing in person, there's that many differences in like how you present. I mean, you obviously want to make sure you've got good camera and good um, lighting, but There's going to be distractions and disruptions. And I think how you handle that and just being okay with it. um, And I think those are really important things. And I think you're also interviewing the company that you're talking to at that time and how they're going to handle that as well. So I think those were important things.
1: You hit on something very important there. So we may not have always had the inner strength or maybe not been at the level to be as aggressive on this point. But I think for many of us, at least we believe that we're there. And that's interviewing the company themselves, right? Earlier in my career, and and maybe in yours, I don't know, I won't speak for you, but I needed the job. And I was excited to be there. And they could treat me, you could even treat me poorly, and I'll still want to come in. Uh, For me, those days are over. And uh, maybe that's inner strength. Maybe it's hardheadedness. I don't know. But you talk about interviewing Twitter just as much as they're interviewing you. For those that haven't gotten there yet, for the future CISO, for the young lady in in the cyber program and the Girl Scouts that's going to listen to this one day, what advice do you have about interviewing the company uh, versus having them interview you? Where does that start for you?
0: They're going to interview you. Um, and you have to make it clear that you also have questions and that you want to know more about them as well, because it's at the end of the day, it's both people's choice to make that happen. And I think I have a set of questions that I'll ask that give me a good tell, like, especially for security folks that, you know, if there's an incident, how are things going to play that if I'm leading the security incident, how is the leadership team going to support that? And seeing what their responses are to things like that. Sometimes interviews, especially in this virtual environment, happens, questions or feelings happen without them even being said. Like I mentioned about my son playing the piano and, you know, it was I was a little bit flustered, but I had to laugh about it. And then the interviewer started laughing and we could have a couple minute chat about, oh my gosh, this COVID thing and just be humans together. And it just gives you this sense of what the culture is going to be like when you're going to work there. Um, Had that gone differently, where the interviewers might have been upset or stressed out themselves or you know felt that that was inappropriate, that might give you a different sense about the company. And so I think those things are important. Um, testing relationships with those that you're interviewing with that you might work closely with if you were to accept the rule. I think it's really important. And I think sometimes we don't make the time to ask those questions or there's not enough time. And I think, I asked for several follow-up meetings with folks, too, that, hey, I want to have another conversation with this person and to go and ask more questions that I have. And that was my time at that point. So there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think it's a really good thing to feel really confident um, because it's, security is one of the most challenging spaces that you want to make sure that the environment going to be good.
1: So that's, a, that's an excellent tip for those that might not have caught listening is it requesting more time. I think that's, assuming you have things to go over that are, you know, sort of a creative to the, to the, the larger goal, that's a phenomenal bit of advice. And actually, one thing I don't think I've ever done, asking for more time. At a high level, I don't need any inside baseball, but I mean, if you needed more time. You were meeting with somebody, was it just that it was going well and your hour was up and you're like, damn, I didn't cover these other topics? Was, was that it or was there another direction you went? And who did you ask? Did you email them directly or did you go through your the recruiter? I want to know tactically kind of how this went.
0: I didn't run out of time. In fact, to, to, they they were really generous with their time. I think what happened was as I had interviews, there were more questions I had um, of senior mm-hmm. leadership. And I went back to the uh, – I. everyone had shared their contact information throughout the interview process. And so I went back to the – individuals and just said, hey, you know, they reached out to to say, like, hey, I hope you're, you know, just checking in kind of thing. And I went back and asked them directly that I'd love to get more time. And they said, anytime. And I went then back to the recruiter saying, here's the folks I'd like time with. And here's the topics that I want to discuss. And then they went and found time to, for me to meet with those individuals. Um So I didn't shy away from that, you know, and how they responded again. And, you know, being flexible with their time was really important. And I felt like I wanted to feel really good and made sure like all my questions are answered uh, that were in my head. And so that's how it kind of tactically played out.
1: Yeah, no, that's perfect. And, And you earlier mentioned that there were certain questions, kind of security focused questions that while they were security focused, I felt like they were more questions around cooperation and authority. Maybe that's the, my words, not yours in general. And maybe these weren't exactly what you asked at Twitter. In general, what would you recommend people ask in these sorts of security questions? Based on what you hinted on earlier, like what would be the 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 cooperation and the authority type questions you would you would suggest others ask? Let me phrase it that way.
0: Yeah, I think asking questions like depending on who you're. In fact, I I think I did ask this of almost everybody, whether the folks now work for me or I worked for them. Um, it was what does a partnership with you and I look like. What does escalation mean to you? What are things that you're expecting from me when there's a real major event that we're dealing with, whether that's a security incident or something else? And again, just talking through these to me, like I'm the type of person <laughs> where I like to talk through and understand what the really difficult situations are going to feel like and look like with the individuals. Um, and so that those were around. The questions that I would ask, you know, it's always fun to celebrate good moments, but it's, I think, really dealing with those heated moments together that help you kind of make teams work stronger together. And you want to be in an environment that's very supportive and that's not pointing fingers. And so just understanding who these individuals were, but through asking questions like that was really important.
1: Excellent advice. One of my favorites is um, whoever it is, just asking them, describe to me your worst professional day. I used to say worst day and and that's too open. But at work, describe to me your worst day. And then let them just describe it and then either add on to that and say, well here's, you know, here's how how our roles would overlap or or interact. Then maybe it's an opening to describe, well, here's an example of what my worst day could look like, or here's an example I had from my past. And I think what I heard you say is that you're really looking for What are the points of friction or possible sort of sticking points when there is a crisis? And and I think that in speaking with many CISOs, not enough of these questions are asked in the interview. They've got to figure it out a year later when there's a problem. And starting early is super important. So I thank you for sharing those. I think uh, people will make good use of them, or at least I hope they will.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a really key point that you know, communications is so
1: important in the security space. You mentioned earlier some work that Twitter will be announcing. Uh, I think this is important. So diversity in our community and better representation in events and panels. Why was that something that you think is so important and why is, what's, what's the problem if you don't have that from your perspective, right? If you, if it's only a sort of a one lens in our community, why does that hurt us? And and why do you think, or why, why is Twitter taking a stand in terms of your participation? Can you explain to that a little bit?
0: There's so much to this, so many dimensions to this, but We have the toughest problems to go and solve in cybersecurity. I just, it's unbelievable. We know as an industry that there's not enough talent to fill the gaps that we have today. And the only way that we're gonna be able to solve the challenges is if we really have thought diversity. And I think one thing that this COVID has helped with is that we can go and tap talent in communities we never would have been able to before. Because we focused before on the central offices and where we already had business. And as I mentioned, Twitter was already thinking about this uh, and how do we decentralize and how do we bring a global workforce beforehand. But in cybersecurity, when I go back to that, I think we need to bring in people from different backgrounds and different walks of life into the space so we can start thinking about how we solve the problems in different ways we're not going to attract talent, we're not going to going to attract kids to go and pursue a career in cybersecurity, if we can't build role models that represent the different areas that we, you know, different backgrounds. And so I think it's so important. I remember being earlier in my career, not even seeing a single role model that was a security leader, or a security manager that was a woman. And, and I literally thought that, you know, being a security engineer, I've made it. Um, and that's probably the extent of what I'll be doing. Um, and that was because I didn't see people like me. And so I think that needs to change that. If we continue encouraging, having panels where there isn't representation, you know, I think that's not the right thing to do. And there's a, um, there's already an initiative started, I think it's called share the mic. Um, and so that's already something that started outside of Twitter that we are now participating in and have made a commitment to join that um, group. And so to say that we gonna, we're going to only participate when there's good representation, and I think that's really important because that's how we will bring more diversity into cybersecurity.
1: For me personally, it's, it's good leadership and it's necessary. And answering it this way, I think, is probably the, the, the wisest and kindest way we can do this it is, I remember when I started and, and I fall into this sort of demographic, but it was, it was primarily old guard security. And I come from a military family, but it was people that had been in, in military service and have moved into, maybe they came from physical security. Maybe they were, you know, maybe they were, you know, old signal Corps, or whatever, but it was, you know, older white guys that were in said, frankly, right. And, and, uh, there's nothing wrong with older white guys, but in the room, if that's all that's there, there's certainly, especially with similar backgrounds and all the rest, it, it might not be the culture that you want. Uh, and it certainly isn't diverse. And so this is certainly, I think, one relevant tactic. You know, think of, of all the panels that we've seen where the voice is, is very much the same. And then think of how many people out there who want to participate, but feel like they can't. Maybe because there's no one that looks like them up there, and uh, so I applaud you and, and uh, Twitter for for pushing forward with this. And I also, you know, also I think that that your own personal interest in mental health and girls in cyber is worth exploring as well. What you mentioned mental health is this just something that's recent with COVID, uh, or is there some other outlet that you think is important that um, we should think about, especially in cyber?
0: So for me, it's very personal. Um, about 17 years ago, I had. My mother, um, who suffers with mental health had a breakdown and was diagnosed, um, with some severe mental health issues. And that for me was an eye opener and a life changing moment. And it's something that now I recognize when it's, when there are mental health issues and when I recognize that in somebody. And I'm the reason I'm so passionate about it is I just think this, there's so much that we could do to change the system and, you know, make the workplace a better place where I think work is where many times it's those behaviors manifest themselves, and you can recognize them very early on and help somebody out in a big way. And so I think um that's it. That's where my passion stems from. It's very personal. And in the cybersecurity space, we're dealing with some tough issues. And some of the smartest people I've worked with do struggle with mental health. And I think, we have to find ways to help those individuals and still strive because we need them in the in the cybersecurity space. And so it's a real personal um, passion area for me. And I, I think one thing that COVID has brought, you know, COVID obviously created mental health issues for those that may not have seen it. And I think um, you know kindness goes a long way. You just never know what somebody else might be dealing with. Um, and so that's where I meant mention mental health.
1: Well, I think that. That sort of natural and connected interest is is extremely valid, but even more so, the stress of being in information security is often quite high. I, I um, personally, you know, had due to stress, I've had medical problems. Uh, I've seen it in others. You know, as an industry, we unfortunately see alcohol abuse. We see high divorce rates. We see mental health problems. We see medical issues. We see high degree of Stroke, aneurysm, heart attack. It, you know, it's, it's, and a lot of it is we're in a, we've got a tough job. And so, with that as kind of the baseline, I mean, you're a new leader. You haven't been able to meet your team in person yet. That would bother me, probably bothers you, I'm sure. What are some ways that you are working to improve mental health or, or team wellness? I'll say some, some tactics that you're using. What's been working for you in these four and a half months?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's been, It's been crazy, like you talk about COVID and just being home all the time and having already the stresses that associated with all that. And then we went through a really interesting time at Twitter um, and dealing with some issues I've never seen before, many of us haven't. And so, you know, I think for me, one was during the holidays and things like that, my team was still working. And so giving them extra time off, I thought was really important, giving them a week off that where most people wouldn't be off to say, go and get rest. You've earned it and you need it. Um, And let's just come back recharged. That's been really uh, important. I think, um, you know, we're also trying to do more things as a team that are just fun activities, getting together, taking a break from work virtually. Just yesterday, one of my team members did a Vietnamese coffee making uh, session. So we had all gotten kits and we made that together. And it was a nice break from back to back Zoom meetings. So I think those things are important. I personally take the time to exercise. I wouldn't have my sanity otherwise. And so, encourage. I and I do that. There's a lot of groups that work that are focused on wellness, um, and many people are part of that. So I think there's those things. But I will say, I think all that is important. But the most important is we're still all humans. I mean, you. When we're in meetings, sometimes it's hard to tell how people might be feeling about something. Sometimes it's not. I think asking folks like, "Hey." what's going on in your, you know, in your head about this topic and having them talk about it. And I've made phone calls after meetings to say, hey, you didn't seem happy in that meeting, like tell me what's going on or, you know, whatever it is and creating an environment where we're still all humans and we, you know, still need to connect in ways uh, and making sure that, you know, we are doing that outside of the (laughs) Zoom meetings back to back to back that we need to touch base and make sure people are doing well.
1: When we spoke last I kind of quizzed you on the differences between in-person and virtual leadership. I for one, I have trouble not being in person. Virtual can work, we're making it work, but I love seeing folks in person. Some of my best memories are walking into the the last, you know, sock that I helped build and seeing all the folks there and I could look body language, I could see eye contact and just their spirits, I, I you, could, you could tell. And that was helpful and meaningful from a leadership perspective. I cared about that. And sometimes you don't get all that in the Zoom meeting. You had some strategies around the differences between in-person and virtual leadership. You kind of mentioned it. You mentioned that one of them was just ask for feedback more was the statement you made, made to me. Talk a little bit about, about that, if you would, and and what you're doing there.
0: Having never met folks in person yet and having to have just built relationships virtually has been the most difficult thing. And like you, I'm introverted, but like you, I like to be around people in leadership um, and just building really well-oiled machines and making sure the teams are working well together. And it is very difficult to do that virtually. And I don't think we'll ever be able to replace the in-person connection. I think you have to go out of your way to make the time and make those connections that you wouldn't normally rely on hallway conversations or just based on observations. Do ask for feedback a lot. I ask how people are feeling a lot. I make phone calls while I'm walking, (laughs) get on the phone and just say, let's, you, you know, seem frustrated in that meeting. Tell me what's going on. Um, I ask for, hey, are there things that I could do better or things you want me to do more of? Uh, that I'm, you feel I'm doing well, you know, and, um, I've tried to make those, make time for that. Sometimes people need to vent. And so I think it's really important. It's important to make the time, I think, to connect as a team. I try to have, uh, you know, when I walked into Twitter, my staff meetings were very agenda driven. There was a very strict agenda and I like to, I, you know, we have an agenda, but it's let's just start off and talk to each other as human beings and connect for a few minutes. And so I think those things are really important.
1: Absolutely. I think that too much rigidity, especially today, in terms of meeting format, especially when meeting a new team or trying to build connection, you know, the connective tissue is is tough. You know, we want to know a little bit because we'd be having those conversations, them as humans anyway, but we don't have the time in between those meetings or in the hallways anymore. You kind of have to make, I think, making time or, or you know, asking yourself, you know, are you, have you connected with them? And I think following up that you, like you mentioned is, is extremely important. You know, I, I think I heard you just say this, but is that what you really meant? You know, is this, you, you told me, you didn't mention it just now, but you said instincts can be wrong. You know, instincts that we see virtually through whatever the platform is can be and are often wrong. And we need to avoid that for those in leadership. Um, because back to it, I always used to say a, a bad day at work makes a bad day at home for most folks. We need to avoid that at all costs. We can't have it. Anything else that you'd share on the topic that's uh, that's been working working for you in terms of getting to know your team virtually or or problem prevention or resolution? I think that's really important.
0: Yeah, I mean, I the last thing I would share is just like, I think, you know, when you're in an office and you can read body language and things like that, there's a lot you rely on um, in that. And so I just have learned not to make assumptions. Um, and I think that's really important. Like, you know, what I mean? I, I've been in meetings where you're trying to gauge just the room, the Zoom room or the Google Meet room and trying to gauge how folks are interacting. And there's a lot you rely on that as a leader when you're in person and you see dynamics between people. But now it's like you have a distraction and maybe like a cat pooped on the carpet or something like that, you know? <laughs> Or, uh, or your kid is running around, and there's a face somebody might make and it had nothing to do with the meeting. And so I think um, not making assumptions in those types of uh, ways, having the dialogues, uh, checking in with people. Um, I mentioned this earlier that you just never know what somebody might be going through uh, because meetings are so, are scheduled with a specific topic that unlike with a workplace where someone might say, hey, my kid's sick or this is what's going on. They're not that's not necessarily happening. So I think just not walking in with assumptions um, is really important. I actually recently also, uh, you know, with my uh, with one of my teams, they were looking to do a team building exercise because that's not happening as much when new employees join and new teams are forming. Um, and we did a team building exercise. And I said, let's do journey lines where we talk about our ups and downs through our life journey or career journey uh, up to today. And so we did that. And I went and joined their team and talked through kind of like my life and who I am and how I've come to be today. And I spent 20 minutes doing that. And then the team did that. I mean, it was an eye opener, because lots of them had not met each other. And like, oh, she does that. And that's because this one thing happened in her life a lot earlier on. And that's kind of defines her as a person. So I think those types of things, they're really hard to do virtually, but it's still possible. And we still have to do them.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm actually not uh, familiar with the concept of a a journey line exercise. Is this typically done visually, or is it just storytelling? I, I, I excuse my ignorance.
0: No, oh, I so I learned this back at Intuit when I was working there a long time back, and um, it's you could visually just draw a line. You're drawing a graph. It's like a line graph, and you show your. High points in your life and career and low points. And you draw a graph wow. out and you show where you are and you kind of talk about those significant moments and how they've defined you either at work or at air in or in your life. Um, and the point is that you're kind of opening up and sharing some of your vulnerabilities so that you really kind of understand backgrounds of people and what define them and why they might do certain things that they do. And, you know, many times that ends in, uh, people in tears and a lot of times it's in laps and you just get to know people at a deeper level um and you can have that visual of a line chart and people will do some fancy things there or you can just talk through it so uh it's it's a really nice way to um start like start a team building you know off site or zoom site or whatever you want to call it and then a lot of times that's followed by then strategy discussions and things like that but it helps a team manage conflict um in ways where they'll recognize that, hey, this person's coming from a different viewpoint because their life journey is different than mine. And you can have those dialogues in a more productive way.
1: No doubt. You've already answered this question once, but it was on the last show. And it's it's the way we close out. But I'm thinking maybe your answer could have changed because the world's changed and, and your career and even your outlook has changed. But pursuant to the name of our show, uh, the new CISO, right now, what does being a new CISO mean to you?
0: It's still to me is building a security culture um, at Twitter is what I'm focused on and strengthening it. And it's continuing to be thought leaders as a company in how we build that culture and how we build the team. And that's to me, I don't even remember uh, how I answered that question last time, but that's to me right now, the most important thing.
1: That's certainly, I'm sure, your mission, and I know you'll be successful at that. But it's kind of a trick question today because you just spent you know, the, the whole time here uh, describing kind of what being a new leader uh, should be, and that's been kind of encompassed in our entire conversation. So it's kind of a trick, uh, and, and I didn't mean to put you on the, on the spot, but it's, uh, it's also a clean way for me to close out the show. So with that, uh, I can't thank you enough for coming back on the show congratulations on your new position. We've really enjoyed having you on again. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. It was great being here again.
1: That's it for this episode of the new CISO. Thank you for listening. Check out more episodes on exabeam.com forward slash podcast, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe to get brand new episodes first.